This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, is there a war on Christmas? We're asking today's big question to Dr. Jerry Bowler. Jerry is a Canadian historian and writer with a special interest in popular culture and its connections to religion. He's published works on The Simpsons, Wayne Gretzky, and the relationship between Aristotle and professional wrestling. But he's focused his main efforts on the history of Christmas, and he's written four books on Christmas. And he joins me now from Canada. Jerry, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Jerry, you've written four different books about Christmas, including the World Encyclopedia of Christmas. So what fascinates you about Christmas? Uh, there's a whole universe of, of Christmas stuff to be interested in. Yeah. You, you've got a 2,000-year-old history. It's the world's biggest celebration. Uh, there's food. There's magic. There's kids. There's adults. There's violence. There's werewolves. There's God coming to earth. There's the world turned upside down. Uh, how can you not be interested in something uh, that enormous? Yeah. And so you've written four books on this topic. Yeah. The last 30 years has kind of been my, uh, my daily obsession at <laughs> Christmas. I, I was really uh, originally a, a 16th century political theorist historian, and that didn't get me invited to very many parties, but I find I'm much more popular if people want to talk about Christmas. So every day is Christmas for you then? Absolutely. Yeah, this is one house where you can sing Christmas carols every day of the year. <laughs> so then how does Christmas compare with professional wrestling, though? You've written about <laughs> professional wrestling. So do you think professional wrestling could be incorporated into some Christmas traditions? Actually, it has. Uh, Christmas is so useful to everybody that everybody tries to get a piece of it. That, that, that's part of the, the meaning behind uh, the book on the war on Christmas. But uh, there's a professional wrestling Christmas carol with uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, uh, an American, actually maybe even a Canadian professional wrestler visited by the ghost of Christmas past. Hulk Hogan did a hideous uh, movie called uh, Santa with Muscles. Um, yeah, no, there, there's all kinds of links to professional wrestling on Christmas. Well, fantastic. Well, we're so delighted you'd be able to join us here today, Jerry. Now, we're here to talk about a war on Christmas, though. Maybe not perhaps of the professional wrestling type. But anyway, to kick off bigger questions, we often like to ask a couple of smaller questions just to get everyone thinking. So, Jerry, I do have a smaller question for you today about a war on Christmas. And I do think it's probably pretty easy for you. But there's one smaller question and it's multiple choice, okay? Right. Okay, in the 17th century, Christmas was made illegal in England. Who was responsible for this? Was it A, the Germans, because they never liked having any fun, particularly around Christmas? Was it B, King Charles II, who was not a believer in Christianity? Was it C, the Christians, who believed that Jesus wasn't really born on 25th of December and Christmas shouldn't be celebrated? Or was it D, no one? Christmas has been a constant for over two millennia and has never been cancelled. It's those pesky Christians. <laughs> it is. You know about Christmas. That's the right answer, Jerry. Yeah. So it's answer, the answer is C. It was those pesky Christians. So is it it's intriguing, though, and surprising to many, perhaps many still listening today, that it was actually the Christians who made Christmas illegal. Interestingly, they did take the Christ out of Christmas. But why? Isn't Christmas supposed to be a Christian festival? So why were the Christians banning Christmas in the 17th century? Um, for a lot of the same reasons that um, 
Christians had been worried about Christmas for centuries before that. Mm-hmm. In fact, the war on Christmas starts before Christians celebrate Christmas. There were theologians who thought that this whole business of marking Christ's birthday was just too pagan. Only pharaohs and kings like Herod marked birthdays, and, and so Christians should stay away from that. But in the, in the 17th century, the objection was manifold. They thought it was popish. They thought it was Catholic, and so that was, that was right out. Uh, they thought it was pagan, that it was bacchanalian, that it was just uh, too wild and crazy. And then you had the historical objections that uh, December 25th was maybe not the date of the nativity. So they wanted to flatten the year. This is all part of a, a greater Protestant desire to rid the church year of any meaning except on the Sabbath mm-hmm. and the occasional fast. So uh, Christmas was a target, but so was Easter. So was Pentecost. Protestants of that Calvinist ilk were uh, against any kind of uh, religious ceremonial that was not clearly evident in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So uh, if it was man-made, it was therefore idolatry. So Christmas, it goes. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily just a war on Christmas. It was a war on everything that they didn't see directly coming from the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, they changed their mind in England after about 15 years, but they never changed their mind in Scotland. Christmas in Scotland was was not a big deal until the Second World War, right. in, in which which a lot of Scottish troops encountered uh, different ways of uh, observing Christmas around the world. Mm-hmm. But in some sense, weren't the Cromwell and the Puritans right? For isn't Christmas an appropriation of a of a pagan festival? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that. No, 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 a thousand times no. <laughs> yeah, that is a popular. Belief. You can find it in books dating from um, quite a long time ago. It's certainly very popular on the internet, but it, it's not true at all. Right. Um, Christmas is a celebration of the nativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, there's utterly nothing pagan about that. Right. Now, people have added things on to it. They have chosen a date that seems to many to be um, taken from the pagans. But again, in the book, uh, Christmas in the Crosshairs, uh, I, I devote some time to blowing that one up. Mm-hmm. Um, December 25th was not chosen because it coincided with Saturnalia or any of the other uh, midwinter festivals. Uh, it was chosen because of religious calculations that mm-hmm. are, are rather complicated to explain, but uh, which made perfect sense to the early Christian mind. So then what are some of the origins then of some of the festival we know as Christmas though? Because I mean, obviously the early Christians wouldn't have celebrated Christmas in the same way that we do today. So what are the origins of what we now know as Christmas? That's a good question. Um, because Christmas or Christians were persecuted uh, for centuries, their festivals had to be uh, underground. So we really don't have much information about the celebration of Christian Uh, religious feasts before the 300s when Christmas can finally come out of the shadows because Constantine the emperor has has made Christianity and and Christmas legal. So it it certainly starts off as a celebration of the nativity and it very rapidly becomes the second greatest of the Christian festivals after Easter. One of the reasons why it was so insisted upon by the early church was the tendency 
on the part of some philosophers and Gnostic heretics, people who poo-pooed the notion that Christ had appeared in bodily form, he only seemed to, mm. and he didn't really suffer on the cross. Well, Christians had to say, no, no, he was really a physical body. He was born at this time of the year in this place to a couple whom I will tell you the names of. Uh, he had diapers. He had a youth. He grew up. Uh, we know the people he was associated with. So emphasizing the corporal reality, the, the bodily uh, presence of Jesus uh, is, is part of the incarnation. And so that's why it was so important. Hmm. So it starts off as a religious festival. But the problem is that because December 25th was chosen as the date, it's, it's the holiday season in the Mediterranean world. And it's natural that some of the celebrations uh, leak into Christianity, even though theologians are railing against it all through the three and four hundreds. Put down that greenery. Put out those candles. Come in at night. Don't be out dancing. Don't hand out gifts. All the things that went along with, uh, particularly the calends of December, uh, the New Year celebration of the Roman year. Uh, the church will fight for centuries against that. Mm. So there's a, a shift around the year 600 when uh, the church decides to go for acculturation. The, um, early centuries, you have to resist paganism at every turn. But by the sixth century, you're in charge. Let in a few harmless customs. Mm. Uh, this is Pope Gregory's uh, instruction to uh, Augustine of Canterbury. If the pagans are used to celebrating a festival at this time, eh, what's the harm in celebrating a festival this time? If they've got a sacred well, okay, it's a Christian sacred well. Uh, you know, if they eat beef, well, let them eat beef. So that, that shift to acculturation gives us a lot of the sort of Northern European uh, accretion that uh, latches onto Christmas and uh, kind of like barnacles mm. uh, over the century. And it gives it various flavors in various countries. Mm. And so I suppose that means that Christmas then, is, for want of a better word, is not purely Christian, so to speak, because there's just lots of acculturation, lots of crossover between uh, other festivals and connections at that time. And so the Christmas becomes murkier in terms of what it really stands for. Yes and no. Um, I'm, I'm very much a fan of Christmas being a celebration. I think one of the things that Christians do well about Christmas is they have a lot of fun. Um, if you can't get happy about the birth of the baby Jesus, you're in the wrong religion. And, and just because we're feasting, um, just because we're giving presents, just because we're singing joyous songs, that, that, that doesn't mean it's not Christian. Mm. Now, in your book, Christmas in the Crosshairs, 2,000 years of denouncing and defending the world's most celebrated holiday, you describe many strange and bizarre things connected with Christmas, maybe not so much about professional wrestling, but so what do you think is the strangest, the most outlandish thing that you've learned in connection with Christmas? I get asked that a fair amount, and the one I keep coming back to is the pooper. <laughs> right. In... Um... In northeastern Spain, in, in Catalonia, it is the custom to take a figurine of a person squatting and defecating and putting it in your Christmas nativity scene. This, this is a holiday. Or not holiday. It's, it's a custom that goes back to at least uh, the 1500s. 
And it obviously has some kind of fertility symbol. It started off being the figurine of a little, a little peasant dropping his drawers and doing it. But now you can get figurines of famous soccer players or the Pope or, or a president doing it. Um, uh, happy I, Christmas. I, yeah. <laughs> I, here's how serious they take it. Um, the city of Barcelona wanted to um, do a crackdown on people uh, urinating and defecating in the streets. So they, they said, we've got to take the pooper out of our nativity scene, or our huge, <laughs> bigger-than-life nativity scene, to set a good example. And the city went crazy. No, we demand our kahaner. Put it back. So there you go. So you can't take the pooper out of Christmas? No, I, I wouldn't even try. <laughs> okay, right. But anyway, but Jerry, the title of your book, um, Christmas in the Crosshairs, implies that Christmas has been denounced by many and requires defending. So what kinds of conflicts then has Christmas created? Well, um, no, in fact, there are wars on Christmas. Um, Christmas is the biggest thing in the world. Uh, there's nothing to compare with it. Uh, the World Cup, the Ashes, a rock tour, Sydney to Hobart boat race, nothing compares to Christmas. Mm. It, it occupies about 10% of our life. Uh, a huge multi-gazillion dollars spent on it, uh, billions of people involved in it. So people want uh, a piece of the action. They either want to attach themselves to it, to give themselves uh, some kind of legitimacy. So every social movement in the world wants a piece of Christmas. Everybody wants the glow of Christmas to rub off on them. And enemies of Christianity see Christmas as an enormous sitting target. This is the time of year when Christianity is the most public, when, when Christians make the most preposterous suggestion that, that God came to earth in the form of a baby. Let's attack it. Let's um, uh, say that it, it has nothing to do uh, with being good. You can be good without God. Atheists are really swell people. Uh, there's bus campaigns, billboard wars all around the world making that point. And then politically, we've got uh, regimes that have to attack religion generally. And uh, if, you've, if you've got a great monotheism, you've got an assertion that there is something greater than the dictator. So the Soviet Union has to go against Christmas, Nazi Germany, uh, Mao Zedong's China. They all have to either try and wipe Christmas out or accommodate themselves to it. Mm. And uh, it it's, uh, makes wonderful history to see how various dictators ha have tried to do that. Mm. So how did, they, how did they do that? How did Eastern Europe or the Nazis appropriate Christmas? Um, the Nazis were rather cleverer than um, the East, uh, Eastern Europeans. They tried at first to make Christmas kind of harmless, uh, harmless Nazi thing. Nazi officials would show up at the nativity scene openings and Christmas trees and stuff. But the hardliners in the Nazi party, the SS, wanted to paganize it. So there's a very interesting um, attempt by the SS and, and the pagans to put Hitler in uh, the lyrics of Silent Night to try and move the celebration from December 25th to December 21st, the winter solstice. Uh, to replace uh, St. Nicholas with uh, Wotan, uh, a, a Nordic god. In the Soviet Union, 
um, because of calendar reform, uh, the Orthodox Church stuck to the old Julian calendar, whereas uh, the Soviet Union adopted uh, the Gregorian calendar, which meant uh, in Russia for, for all those years, New Year occurred before Christmas. Right. So the Soviet Union was able to focus all the festive activity on January 1st, and then wham, cut off all the food supply, <laughs> all the party decorations, and, and the merriment um, after that. So, so uh, Christians who wanted to celebrate it on what uh, to the rest of us was January 7th uh, were out of luck. Mm. The, the Mexicans, Mexicans uh, had a very um, anti-clerical, anti-religious revolution in the 1920s. And they tried to replace uh, St. Nicholas with uh, Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent god of the Aztecs. Right. Went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> So what do you think it says about Christmas that all of these anti-religious uh, movements and societies were so intent on appropriating it? Well, because it's so important. Uh, as I say, it's the most public demonstration of Christmas. It's the most effective demonstration of Christmas. My goodness. You know, you're associating Christmas with rebirth, innocence, family, wads of sentiment, magic, Angels, dreams, kings, poof, and the great and the great pooper. Yeah, well, he sneaks in there. A little, <laughs> it takes him a while, but uh, he makes it. So Christmas is a very global festival in many ways. So then, then who owns it? Then who owns Christmas? Nobody does, uh, and, and that's the joy of it because there is not one standard way of celebrating Christmas. It's different in Scandinavia than it is in France, than it is in uh, Latin America, or China, or Canada, or Australia. There's a world of gift bringers out there. It's not just Santa or Father Christmas. There's witches, there's goats, <laughs> there's duck-feeded ladies with iron teeth. Uh, Santa travels, you know, as you know, in Australia by, uh, by kangaroos or... Um, Canoes pulled by alligators and a red-nosed werewolf. Nobody owns Christmas, but I'll tell you, <laughs> the Finns have tried. The rascals have convinced Europe and China that Father Christmas lives in Finland, in Lapland. And uh, it's, it's the most uh, egregious cultural appropriation dating from the 1920s. just makes me furious. There's an annual Santa Claus Congress every year in Copenhagen where all the Santa Clauses around the world come. But the Finnish guy, Jodapuki, won't show up because he's the only real one. The rest are just imitators. I appreciate it. You, you are a, a Christmas expert, and so obviously the, uh, the controversies within the movement are obviously very close to your heart. Um, so at the heart of the Christian message remembered by Christians at Christmas is found in Matthew chapter 1 of the Gospels, which is one of the infancy narratives of Jesus in the Bible. Now in verses 21 to 23, an angel speaks to Joseph and predicts about Mary that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jerry, this passage speaks of the coming of a child who is known as God with us in order to save his people from their sins. Now, in a culture that doesn't universally recognize God or that we need saving from sins, 
Is this a controversial version of Christmas today? Oh, I think so. Um, uh, it's very difficult um, in, in my town here uh, to find a school putting on uh, a nativity uh, play. It's, you know, now you get to sing Susie Snowflake and it's entirely secularized. Mm. Uh, so it is controversial. So then how is this message the heart of the Christian Christmas message? It's the world turned upside down. It's the most extraordinary story. Um, the fact that um, God comes down to earth is something that uh, every pagan religion has. But every pagan religion has gods immediately leave. Uh, they're not down there to save the earth. They're, they're down there to, to rape maidens or wreak vengeance, uh, spend a little while and, and go back to Valhalla or, or Olympus. Uh, the notion that God comes to earth in the shape of a baby, helpless, unable to control his limbs or his bowels, totally dependent, uh, but totally lovable, uh, is, it just staggers the imagination. Uh, there's a, there's a wonderful Italian um, Christmas carol that talks about this. So why, he asked the baby Jesus, why, why did you come and suffer? You know, it's cold. Um, you know, you're in a stable. And, and the answer is um, to make us love you. You, you come in the, in, in the most lovable form there is. Um, totally innocent, totally harmless, um, and... Uh, we know how the story ends, um, and uh, the Christmas is, is the part of it that is such um, an effective lure to consider the notion of, of the humanity of God and mm. Emmanuel. Mm, mm, mm. But it's also, it says he's saving people from his sins. So you mentioned that's how the story ends, and so the, is there something that's uh, attractive about a baby but less so about a, a person who dies for sins? I think so, yeah. Um, you, you, you saw the reaction to, to Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. Um, Mel, Mel Gibson uh, made a very honest um, movie a, about what the suffering of Jesus entailed. And it, it's not a movie you want to see again. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to show it at Christmas, uh, or you're not even going to show it at Easter. Um, it, it's it's much easier to um, to pr to present the, the nativity scene, the shepherds, the angels, um, yeah. But then you have to talk about why he's come. Um, why why does he make this sacrifice? Uh, you know, it, it's not to to give us uh, gingerbread. It, it's to confront the human condition. Mm. Mm. Now, it is interesting that uh, Christmas was contested right from the very birth of Jesus, perhaps the very first war on Christmas, where the Jewish king, King Herod, heard news of the Saviour and King, and rather than worship him, it wanted him dead. And so later in Matthew 2, verse 13, Joseph was warned by an angel in a dream where he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So why the controversy by King Herod? Why would a king be so threatened by the birth of a baby boy at Christmas? Well, it's exactly the same reason um, Mao Zedong and Adolf Hitler and, and Joseph Stalin were upset. The possibility of an allegiance that is higher than to them. 
Um, that, that's what he feared. He, he didn't know what kingship of Jesus meant, but uh, it, it was enough for him to send the secret police out and, and to, to massacre the, uh, the boys of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So what do you think would have changed then if King Herod had been successful and killed the baby Jesus? That's a really interesting uh, subject to think about. Um, we would be in the same condition as um, in the pagan world. We would be um, lost, um, lost in our sinfulness, but the world, and it would be a much nastier world. Uh, I'm a historian, and I know how ugly the pagan world was. Uh, The coming of Jesus, whether you believe in his message or not, made a difference. It's a world, uh, when the church takes over in the 300s, that becomes nicer. Nicer to women, nicer to children, nicer to slaves. Um, No one is uh, throwing away their unwanted children anymore. Nobody is uh, killed in gladiatorial contests. Uh, Anyway, I could go on and on Mm. about how, Mm. even how the emotion of of the world uh, has changed. Mm. So I suppose Christmas would also be very different as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'd be uh, sacrificing horses or, or prisoners and binging out on mead. Yeah, yeah we, we'd be having the same kind of midwinter festivals, but without the magic, w- without the love and uh, the charity and, and the, f- the forgiveness. Mm. Yes, yeah. So then what does Christmas mean to you then in particular? Uh, it, it, the, the best thing about it is the magic. Um, the whole story is suffused with the supernatural. Um, you know, you talk about uh, Halloween as supernatural. Well, that's, that's one evening of the dark side. But Christmas is just, I mean, it's full of, of angels uh, singing, of, of lowlifes, of, of shepherds who, who were the, uh, the social equivalent of, of, of pimps. Uh, the, so dirty, uh, their testimony didn't count in, in court. And, and that's the one that God chooses to, chooses to speak to first. Mm. Uh, it's just fabulous. And then you got magic, you got kings, astronomers coming with bizarre gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You've got people talking in dreams. Uh, it, the magic, um, it, which spills over even into the secular Christmas. Hmm. So, Jerry, is there a war on Christmas? There's wars on Christmas, inside Christianity and out. Uh, It's such an important season that it has to be attacked and appropriated uh, by those who aren't a fan of it and uh, defended and adored by those uh, who love it. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, is there a war on Christmas from Matthew 1:21? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Many thanks to our guest today, Dr. Jerry Bowler. Merry Christmas. Hi, everyone. Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Just wanted to wish you a happy Christmas and thanks for listening to Bigger Questions throughout 2020. 
Now, we've grown a lot this year and we're really excited to be nominated for an award at the Christian Media Arts Australia Excellence in Media Awards for Compelling Content Audio Specialty Programming. It's our second nomination in two years, so it's really nice that people like this show and we're very excited to be nominated for that. The award ceremony will be early next year. Now, 2020 has been a challenging year for many, but at the same time, more people than ever before are exploring the bigger questions. This show is now being played on eight radio stations around Australia, and we had nearly 30,000 podcast downloads this year. So thanks for listening, and thanks for helping make bigger questions even bigger. Now, Bigger Questions is funded by donations from those who love the show, and if you've benefited or enjoyed exploring the bigger questions of life with us, then maybe you'd like to consider a special contribution to Bigger Questions this Christmas. This will help us spend more time creating shows and interviewing great guests rather than raising financial support to keep us funded. So if you'd like to consider perhaps a, a special Christmas bonus for Bigger Questions, then please click the link in the show notes below and make the purpose Bigger Questions. Or perhaps if you'd like to invest in bigger thinking in an ongoing way, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions for all the details, and that link is also in the show notes below. Now, we're really excited to have had Tom and Crystal jump on board in recent weeks as Patreon supporters, so thanks very much for your support, guys. It's really appreciated. Finally, ensure that you like Bigger Questions on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please share this show with someone you think might benefit from it, and let's get more people exploring the big questions of life. It's been a, it's been a challenging but a, really a terrific year for asking big questions, and I look forward to you joining you next week as we start sharing some of the best of Bigger Questions shows over summer. So Merry Christmas to you and your family, wherever you are, and remember to keep asking the bigger questions. <laughs>